Well, thank you so much for being here this morning, for joining us. Uh, those of you who are in person, welcome. Good morning. Good to see you. Um, folks joining us online here this morning, good morning. Great to see you as well this morning. Thank you very much. Um, uh, if it is your very first time here, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, I'm not from Washington originally, in case you didn't know. I grew up in a little town called London, England, and uh, loved spending the first half of my life uh, living in England, and have loved spending the second half of my life so far living here in the United States. I married a young lady from Washington, and this is now home. Um, one of the drawbacks of having grown up in one country, one culture, and then living in another is that you get used to some of the things in the new culture that you Americans just do so well, uh, that you find yourself going back to England and kind of getting a little frustrated. You're like, man, I wish you did things a little bit more like the Americans did them. Even though I grew up knowing this is how life was. Um, I've got so used to uh, American life that it's kind of frustrating. I'll give you an example. So you may not know this if you've not traveled outside of the United States, but Americans, you guys, you are just fantastic uh, when it comes to service. Just the service industry as a whole, whether it's a restaurant or you're going to the mall to buy some clothes, um, you just do such a great job of, you know, really looking out for the needs of the customer. You know, I've, I've shopped in stores and I've tried on a shirt and I said, ah, oh, that's this fits. You know, you have one in a different size. They said, well, we don't in this store, but let me call around a few other stores. I thought I could find one and we could get it brought here. And I was like, really? You do all that? They're like, yeah, absolutely, you know. And in England, I go to the store and I'm like, do you have this? Nope, that's all we got right there. Either buy it or don't. Get out. Maybe not quite like that, you know, but the service is at a different level. Um, and what's happened is I've got so used to it here that I find myself getting kind of frustrated when I get home and I don't experience that same level of service. Uh, I remember going back on a trip once and we went to eat at a pub, my family and I, and I went to order food and I was at the bar placing my order on the menu. They had two options, well, they had several options, but they had two that caught my eye. One was ham, egg and chips, which is ham, egg and French fries, fried egg, fried French fries and ham. Uh, but they also had sausage and mash. We call that bangers and mash in England, okay? So they were both the same price, both these meals. And I fancied sausage, egg, and chips. I like sausage, egg, and chips. That's a, a great meal that I look forward to having when I go back to England. So I said to the lady behind the bar, I said, hey, I said, could I get ham, egg, and chips? But instead of ham, could I have sausage? And she just kind of stares at me. And she's like, look at the menu. She goes, no. She said, you can have ham, egg, and chips, or you can have sausage and mash. I'm like, well, no. I said, but they're the same price. Could I just maybe get sausage instead of ham? She goes, no. You got ham, egg, and chips, or you got sausage and mash. And she's kind of getting frustrated with me. And I'm like, you know, there's a guy somewhere in a kitchen. These plates aren't made. You can literally just move this. But she just wasn't having it. It was like, nope, you got this or this. Take it or leave it. Recently, just recently, we went back for a trip, the family and I. And uh, we did some sightseeing in the morning around London. We'd done a lot of walking. We were very tired. And we went to a, a pub for a lunch. And the, the food in pubs is really good. That's why I keep finding myself in these pubs. Um, so we went for a pub for lunch. And we placed our order. And we sat there. And it was like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Our lunch still hadn't come. We were super hungry, super tired. And then we started to notice people who'd arrived after us were getting their meals so I called the waitress over and I was like, hey, we've been waiting quite a long time here. Our food's still not here. Can you uh, find out what's going on? She goes, yeah, yeah, I'll just go and check. And I could see her kind of interacting with the kitchen. And, and I, I kind of figured out that somehow my order hadn't been placed. 
She comes back, she goes, okay, it won't be much longer now. And so we wait another 10 minutes and finally our food arrives, but it's all wrong. They've missed a whole meal. They've got things wrong. And, and I started to, I mean, by now I'm hungry. I'm, I'm hangry. You know what that is? Like hungry and angry, okay? So um, I'm like, this is wrong. This is, she goes, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. We ordered this. She goes, no, you didn't. I said, yes, I did. And this is kind of escalating now. And rather than be apologetic and try and correct it, she's like challenging me. So in the end, I just kind of lost it. And I, I raised my voice. I told her exactly how I felt about the service, about the whole meal. And, and off she went to get us another plate of food and I turn around and all three of my kids are like, dad, who are you? <laughs> like, because I'm normally pretty easygoing, laid back kind of guy. And I could see this look of shock in their eyes that just seeing their dad lose their temper like that with this poor waitress. So it came time to leave the restaurant and my son said, dad, you need to go and apologize to that waitress. I was like, ah, it's fine. He goes, no, dad, because I've raised him well, unfortunately. He's like, no, that behavior wasn't acceptable, Dad. You need to go and you need to apologize. I was like, you're right, you're right. I'll go and apologize. So, I, so we were leaving. I headed on over and I could see he was kind of watching me. So I got to the waitress. I said, okay. I said, uh, right now my son's watching. He thinks I'm apologizing, but I will never apologize for that service. You've let, I'm just kidding. I just said that. <laughs> I, was, I felt like it, but I didn't. I said, listen, I'm so sorry. I was hungry. I was tired. She was like, I'm sorry as well. And it was just, we, we became friends and we, um, it was all good. But uh, isn't it funny how like, even the people who don't think they're angry can find themselves in a situation where just suddenly we get angry. And if, like me, you're a follower of Jesus, it, it takes on a new challenge because as Christ followers, we're not really sure what to do with an emotion like anger. You see, there's a part of us that thinks, well, you know, I, I'm following Jesus, so I shouldn't ever get angry. But then when we read the Bible, we find that there are times when God himself is angry. We can read about the life of Jesus and see that at different times he got angry about some things. We can look back through history and we can see that some of the great cultural changes, big movements that took place, were burst out of a righteous anger. People who just weren't happy with, with injustices birthed things like the civil rights movement, anti-apartheid in South Africa, uh, the Me Too movement recently, uh, many others, examples, all of which arose out of an anger at things that needed to change. There was a righteous anger, and it was correct because things did need to change. And I think as followers of Jesus, we wrestle with that because we're like, well, I can see that sometimes it's good to be angry, but the other day when that guy cut me off, so I, I pulled up alongside him and I put my window down. And I sh I'm not sure that's righteous anger. I think that's probably the wrong kind of anger, you know. So where, where do I draw the line? When's it okay to be angry and okay not to be angry? Well, fortunately, I'm here to tell you this morning that there's a mixtape for just this situation. Now, I'm not talking about a mixtape. Maybe you've got a mixtape or a playlist or a CD that you put on when you are angry. It's just lots of angry, loud music, and you crank it up, and you're like, ah! <laughs> I'm not talking about that kind of mixtape. I'm talking about the, the Psalms. We've been talking here at Connect about a, a big portion of um, Scripture right in the middle in the Old Testament, these, these poems, these songs that were written and kind of put together, 150 of them, and, and called the Psalms. And these psalms, like any good mixtape, cover a variety of emotions. 
Some of them are really uplifting and, and they say some wonderful things about God and they're just full of joy and excitement and praise and worship. But then some of them deal with some other emotions, sadness and anger. There are some Psalms that specifically address the emotion of anger. In fact, they've been given a category all of their own. There are Psalms throughout the book of Psalms that we refer to as the imprecatory Psalms. That's a very technical word there, the imprecatory Psalms. And basically it just means the Psalms of anger. Or sometimes they're even referred to as the curse Psalms. Isn't it crazy? There's a portion of Psalms. There's a a whole portion of the Bible that's known as the curse Psalms. And it's not just one or two that slipped in by accident. And then the Bible went to print and God was reading it. Thought, Whoa, how did these angry Psalms get in here? It wasn't just a couple. There's a lot of them. And I believe they're actually there intentionally. I think God wants us to, to be able to read them and relate to them. So here's just a few of them. And I'm going to say them. They'll be up on the screen so that if later in the week you want to go back and read some of them, you can come to this point in the message and uh, check out the slide or listen as I recite Psalms 5, 6, 11, 12, 35, 37, 52, 54, 69, 79, 83, 109, 137, 143. There are others, but those are some of the key anger psalms, angry psalms, cursed psalms. When you read those psalms, you'll read words of anger and frustration in the form of a prayer to God. The psalm writers are telling God they're mad. They're calling out their enemies on their behavior. They're even telling God what they think should happen to those enemies because of what they've done. And as we read them, those psalms... If we're going through situations that where we feel angry about something, those psalms can become like prayers for us to pray. But I think we wrestle a little bit, especially those of us who are followers of Jesus, we wrestle with the idea of, but God, is it okay for me to pray an angry psalm? Is it okay for me to pray a cursing psalm? Isn't that kind of against what Jesus told me to do in the spirit of the gospel? to love my neighbor, to love even my enemy, to forgive those who have done harm to me? How do those two kind of diametrically opposed ideas live together? Well, I wonder, I wonder if the reason that these mixtapes are in here and that the reason that God's okay with all those angry Psalms being in the Bible is because when we make those angry prayers our prayers, it puts us in a place where it helps us feel angry without being undone by anger. I think God wants to get us to a place to help us feel angry, but without being undone by anger, suffering the consequences of where anger can actually take us. I heard a counselor put it this way once. He said, the movement from sad to mad in our experiences of profound pain, that's a natural one. When you're in a situation of pain and something's happened, that that movement from sad to mad, that's perfectly normal and perfectly natural. That That just happens. However, the movement then from mad 
to bad, where we commit sin against our neighbor, that is always a choice. It's a choice we teach our kids when they're in preschool. If they get to that point of being mad and then they do something bad, they've crossed a line. And it still is true for us today. We have the choice of where we, we go with mad. So it's from this decision of, of crossing that line that the curse psalms rescue us. The curse psalms help us feel angry without being undone by our anger. And we're going to look now at how they do that. We're going to look at like a three-step process that if you work through these psalms, we'll show you how you can actually deal with anger, feel that anger, but not be undone, not suffer the, the consequences of anger mishandled. So in order to do that, we're going to, just for a second, a little exercise here, we're going to think about something that makes us angry. Okay, I want, to, I want you to think in your life about something maybe that makes you angry. It could be someone, someone who's, who's done something that's upset you, makes you angry. Someone who just because of what they do, the way they, they are, the things they say, the things they post online, it just makes you angry. Maybe it's something, a situation that's, that's happened to you, an injustice, a situation at work or at school or at college, and you're like, man, that's not fair. That makes me angry. Maybe it's not so much a someone or a situation. Maybe it's a, a, a larger thing. It could be a, a, a corporation or um, maybe some kind of oppressive system and, and you see it at work and it makes you angry that they're allowed to get away with this, that this seems to go unchecked. How is that right? How is that fair? Oh, it makes me angry. I had a conversation recently with one of my kids and uh, he was like, Dad, Dad, credit card companies, have you, do you know what they do? I was like, yeah. He's like, this. basically, he said, they, they, they profit off people who are in financial trouble. That's when they do the best. The worst situation you're in financially, the more money they get. I said, I know. He goes, I mean, that's terrible. That shouldn't be allowed. How is that allowed? I was like, well, that's kind of just how things happen. You know, some businesses, some corporations, like, I, it's wrong. It makes me angry. I said to him, are you okay if I share this story? She's like, yeah. He goes, tell people if they want to come talk to me, I'll tell them. Is this wrong? They should be angry as well. Maybe it's a system, a person, a situation, but something that when you dwell on it, when you think about it, it's like, man, that, that does make me angry. So now that you've got that in your mind, now you're thinking about that, let's work together through this framework. Let's work through this, this three-step process, looking at these Psalms to see how we can resolve this anger, how we can deal with anger, what, what we can do with this anger. So the very first thing is that the curse in Psalms, they allow us to give it to God. That's the great thing about having these Psalms in the Bible is they actually allow us to give it to God. There is a place for us to take this anger. In fact, even the people who wrote the curse in Psalms knew that it was important to take it to God. One of these angry psalms was written by King David himself, Psalm 109. But listen to how he starts the psalm and then finishes the psalm. The first verse, he says, My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. So before he even starts getting angry, before he even starts um, venting and sharing his frustrations, he says, Hey, God, 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 I praise you. 
Don't ignore this. Don't remain silent. And then he gets into these next 29 verses where he's just like mad. We're going to read some of those verses in a minute and you'll hear just how angry he is. But listen to how he wraps up the psalm in verse 30, 31. With my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng of worshipers, I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. Like I said, there are these angry verses in the middle, but this common theme in in all these Psalms is this writer's ability to just open and close, acknowledging that ultimately, God, this is your problem to deal with. I'm bringing this to you because you are the only one just enough to deal with this injustice. So while I wanna share my anger and vent and let you know my frustrations, ultimately, I acknowledge, Lord, this is... This is for you. I'm giving this to you. There's a theologian by the name of Walter Brugman. He said this. He said, in the Hebrew tradition, these uh, Jewish writers, in the Hebrew tradition, the execution of justice is the divine prerogative. God is the one who knows and embraces pain. And the plea is that God will act on the side of the faithful. Another psalm, Psalm 147.6, puts it this way. It says, the Lord lifts up the downtrodden. He casts the wicked to the ground. So when we come to God in our anger, when we read these psalms that kind of resonate with us because they're kind of capturing how we're feeling, it's in a way of saying, God, I'm really angry about this, but I recognize, Lord, that that's why I need to bring this to you. That's why it's healthy for me to take this to you because holding on to this, allowing this to to stew in my life, I know it's gonna just get worse and worse. It's gonna harm me. So so God, the first thing I'm doing is I'm bringing it to you. I'm bringing this before you. And I think that can be kind of releasing for some of us as followers of Jesus because some of us, we didn't know we could take that to God. I actually had a conversation recently with a family who'd gone through an incredibly tragic situation. And I sat with the dad and he said, I'm really struggling, Dave, he said, because I've, I've prayed in the past. I've been somebody who likes to pray. And when I pray, I talk to God and I thank him for all the good things in my life. But right now, I can't thank him. Because of what we've been through as a family, I'm, I'm finding that there's nothing I feel like I can thank him for. And I told him, I said, you know, here at Connect, we're talking about these Psalms right now. And I think one of the reasons they're there is because sometimes we're not in a place where we can come to God and thank him. But, but that doesn't mean we can't come to God. God still wants us to come to him and share our sadness, our frustration, even our anger. And the fact that these Psalms are here, I told his dad, is it's almost permission for you to be able to be honest and real and vulnerable in your pain and say, God, I'm angry about this. He wants you to bring it to him. You know, the second way these psalms of anger help us work through our anger is this. The cursing psalms, they allow us to curse. The cursing psalms actually give us the freedom, the permission to curse. A guy by the name of Eugene Peterson, he, he kind of compiled a, a, a translation of the Bible we call The Message, and uh, he, he started with the Psalms. He said that the angry Psalms, these cursing Psalms, he referred to them as um, a way to cuss without cussing. These Psalms are a way to cuss without cussing. 
I was thinking about that this week, and it took me all the way back many, many years ago to eight or nine years old, Dave Jane at grade school. Um, I can remember walking across this playground. I vividly remember the playground with my friend, and I don't remember what happened. I either tripped or I dropped something or whatever I did. It was um, enough to cause me to utter a very short but a very serious word. As Ralphie in the Christmas story said, it was the queen mother of swear words. <laughs> and my friend turned to me and he goes, are you allowed to say that word? My parents don't let me say that word. I don't know where I'd heard this word. I clearly had no understanding of what it meant or how bad it was because I said, oh yeah, they're fine with me saying it. <laughs> it wasn't more than a week or two later, I was in the car Riding in the back, my mum was driving. I was kind of laying back in the car and I was looking out the side window and I was counting these light poles as they went by and I lost count. And in my frustration, I said that word again. <laughs> and I discovered that my mum's not all right <laughs> with me saying that word. I discovered very quickly by how hard the car braked and how quickly she responded, what did you say? <laughs> in that moment, I learned that wasn't an acceptable word for eight or nine years old. Do you know what's bizarre? Like, I remember this clearly. I can't remember what I had for lunch on Friday, but I can remember this incident. I remember saying this word like 30 or 40 years ago. And the cursing psalms, these angry psalms, they actually have their own exam examples of profane language. That's what that was, that, that utterance of profanity of me at nine years old. That's, that's what the content of some of these psalms is. We talked about Psalm 109 a few minutes ago by King David, the opening and closing verse, how he was lifting up God and saying these lovely things, but listen to the middle. <laughs> he gets pretty angry and pretty graphic with what he thinks should happen. Basically, he's written this psalm because he's trying to be good to all the people around him, but his enemies are, uh, are ignoring his goodness and they're being mean to him. There's bad things happening. He's like, God, this isn't fair. I'm trying really hard. Look at the way they're treating me. So he tells God... A, it's not fair. B, here's what I think should happen to my enemies. Psalm 109, 8 through 13. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander as beggars and be driven from their ruined homes. May creditors seize his entire estate and strangers take all he has earned. Let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. May all his offspring die and may his family name be blotted out in the next generation. Those are some pretty harsh words to say, even about your enemy. May his children wander around as beggars. Wow. That's a little uplifting scripture verse for you this morning. You see, the word I said when I was nine years old, these writings of King David's, they're, they're known as profanity. And they normally tend to show up in the midst of our rage and anger, don't they? Because the word profanity kind of explains what's going on here. It comes profane, is a, uh, comes from a Latin word, pro farnum. Pro means before and farnum means temple. So it's before or outside of the temple. So the, the core of this word profanity is things that are unholy, things that are outside of God's good plan, God's good pro, um, plan for our lives. It literally means outside of the temple. 
So when these words of anger come out, they're almost like an acknowledgement that this situation is unholy, it's outside of the temple. This is not the way God intended it to be. That's where that anger and that rage and that profanity comes from. Because it's like, God, this isn't right. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that that gives us carte blanche to just stand before God and utter a whole bunch of expletives. But what I am saying is I think that this, this language that David is using is almost freedom and permission for us to stand before God and say, God, I'm really angry. I'm so angry about what's happening. In fact, this is how angry I am. This is what I think should happen to the person that's wronged me. This is what, and it's, it's almost just pouring that out, saying to God, this is what I think you should do. Now, don't forget, David starts and ends this psalm by acknowledging this is God's problem. And rather than David taking matters into his own hands and doing this, he's like, God, this is what should happen because this isn't right. This is unholy. This is profane. This is outside of the way it should be. And while it's good for us as Christ followers to be able to do that, if that's where we end, we're in trouble. Because in that place of anger and rage, it'll just build and build and fester and it'll just turn us inside out. So there's a third step, a third step to this process. Because the cursing part Psalms, they allow us to give it to God. The cursing Psalms allow us to curse, but the cursing Psalms also point the way to healing. Ultimately, and this is the greatest gift we have from God in having this portion of Psalms in the Bible, is that they actually help point us to a way of healing. I'll give you an example. Psalm 137 is an imprecatory psalm. It was a psalm written by the people of Israel when they were in captivity in a place called Babylon. So they'd lived their lives in Israel. That's where the temple was. They were loving life. They were worshiping God in the temple. And um, the Babylonians, they come in, they conquer them. They destroy the temple. They take the Israelites into exile and they have to live in this place called Babylon. And they're miserable. And this Psalm 137 is, is written out of their misery and their anger. But there's this cry, this desire to wish they could still worship. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we remembered Zion. You might recognize that line. It's a very famous line. It's been in songs and in poems. And it's been a part of worship services in church because it captures that, that feeling of God, of people crying out saying, God, I just wish I could get to the place where I could worship you. And people over the years in the church have made that their prayer of saying, God, because of this situation, it's, it's preventing me from being able to worship you like I once used to. And it's become a, a cry of worship. But here's the problem. The church has had a hard time with this because the way the psalm ends, in fact, many people in their worship services have left the last part of the psalm out because they just don't know what to do with it. Because here's the last line of that psalm. Psalm 137 verse 9. They're angry at their enemy and they say, happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Wow. I can guarantee you that's not the memory verse they're learning in Connect Kids this morning. <laughs> My daughter was in first service when I came out. She'd already found a nice background for a version app and she had this verse with some flowers behind it. This isn't the kind of verse you normally put, is it? And uh, it's not very uplifting, enlightening verse. 
So what the church has done over the years is in times of worship, when they've gone through Psalm 137, they've just left that verse out. But as I was preparing for my message this week, I came across um, some writings by a theologian. His name is Miroslav Volf. And he suggests there's a problem in editing the psalm this way. He says we miss out on something when we take that difficult, uncomfortable phrase out. And here's why. He says, by keeping it in, it reminds us as readers that by placing unattended rage before God, we place both our unjust enemy and our own vengeful self face to face with the God who loves and does justice. Our unjust enemy who we're angry at, but also, if we're honest with ourselves, our own vengeful self that is just as bad as that unjust enemy. Now suddenly we're coming before God and saying, God, this is wrong what happened. But look at where it's taking me. I'm in this place of saying terrible things and now it's affecting me as well. I'm almost in as much need of help as they are. And that was his idea. He actually grew up in, well, he grew up in America, but he was born in Yugoslavia. And uh, he was born in the 50s, so he got to see the, the Serbian-Croatian conflicts that took place in the uh, late 20th century. And just a terrible time there in Europe where there was a lot of killings, a lot of ethnic cleansing, just some horrific things happening there. And as a Christian, for him it was hard because he saw these terrible things happening to his country folk, his country, his fellow countrymen, and um, he was angry at the injustice. But he also recognized the fact that when I stand before God, I need God's mercy as well because I know that if, it were, if there was unlimited justice, then I would be just, I would be the recipient of that justice just as much as they would. He said, God, I'm... He would come before God and say, God, I need prayer. I need help for my enemies, but I need help for me. Because my anger unchecked can take me to a dark place, causing me to think and even maybe do some things that I'm angry at my enemy for doing to me. Aristotle once said this. He said, anyone can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose and in the right way, this is not easy. That's a little bit of a mouthful. I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, said it a little better in a very short, simple phrase. In Ephesians 4, 26, he said, be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. Paul is saying, hey, there is, there is a place for anger, for righteous anger. Jesus was angry. God was angry. There is a place to be angry, but there's also a time when moving from sad to mad is understandable, but mad to bad, you, you've entered into that realm of sin. So how do we as Jesus followers deal with this anger that we feel sometimes without crossing that line and taking us to a place of sin? I think the difference between a right and wrong response to anger is maybe the difference between a humble heart and a hardened heart. When we come before God, we say, God, I'm angry, but I'm giving this to you. 
I'm angry, and I'm, I'm cursing. I'm reading this cursing psalm because this is unholy and unfair. I want healing, so God, I'm choosing to soften my heart right now and give this to you. I think that's the key to us, working through our anger, but then leaving it with God, saying, God, I give this to you. Because as much as I want justice against my enemies, I also recognize through the lens of what Jesus did on the cross that I'm no longer getting the justice that I deserve for the wrong things that I've done because Jesus died to forgive me, which means that Jesus also died to forgive my enemies. So soften my heart, humble my heart. Thank you, God, for letting me vent and share my anger Help me to understand, God, that this is you. Only you are just enough to resolve injustice. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the mixtape that we call Psalms. Thank you, God, that though they were written thousands of years ago, they have captured emotions that still are so real to us today. And the danger is that as Jesus followers, we can come to church on a Sunday morning and put our church face on and our church clothes and we're smiling and on the outside, it looks like everything's going okay, but our lives can be a mess. There can be all sorts of things going on. And we could be deceived to believe that to be a good follower of Jesus, you have to suppress that. You have to hide that. You can't let anyone see that. But the Psalms free us. They liberate us to know that there are times where we need to deal with anger. There are times where we need to deal with sadness and pain. And the Psalms give us that freedom to do that. So help us, Lord. If there's anyone here this morning that anger is something that just just grips them and, and at times is out of control, help them to see that you've put in place a process to help free them from the grip that anger can have on their lives. Soften our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.